I've been talking about the idea of digital discernment, looking at our responsibility as believers to take one slice of our life uh, in this area of digital media technology uh, and saying, how does this relate? How do we see this through the, the, the scope, the glasses, the lenses of, of the Word of God? So we've looked at uh, our, our relationship to God and God's relationship with technology. We've looked at our relationship with others. And tonight we want to look at the focus and, and look at the, uh, the, probably one of the more negative focuses is ourselves. And how do we deal with, you know, me, myself, and I, pad, iPod, I, you know, touch, whatever you want. And if you're an Android person, please don't get offended. You know, it's just, that's, it worked out for the, the title. But we look at it and say, okay, how, how do these areas, how are they highlighting some of the, the tendencies in our lives, some of the difficulties? As pastor preached this morning, talking about crushing the kingdom of me and looking and saying, hey, we, we get to this point. I mean, even, even people who aren't, you know, necessarily, uh, you know, preachers or anything, you know, they write songs that they want to talk about me because you're always talking about you. Toby Keith got it. He figured it out. You know, for some of you who love country, I can't stand country music, so, but I know about the song because every time I heard it, I'm like, this song drives me nuts because it's, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about my, I'm like, okay, whatever. But, but people catch on. I mean, even, even unsafe people have gotten to the point where they understand this is a problem in America. And I think it's more than a problem in America. I think it's a problem worldwide because it's a human problem. It's a, it's a difficulty that we have as, as humans to look at our lives and we want to, by nature, focus on ourselves. We are a selfish people, and we'll talk about that. You know, in America, we talk, we're really big on this idea of heart health. You hear about it all the time. How can you make your heart healthy? How can you uh, make sure that you're running enough or you're exercising enough or eating the right things or taking the exact right um, prescription medications in order to keep your heart healthy. But what amazes me is the fact that in America, we've become extremely overindulgent on so many different aspects and different things, especially in regard to food. Since technology in the you know, 40s and 50s has made food production so much easier, we as Americans have become people who gorge on, we gorge on our food. And uh, I was just, I was looking through, I'm like, that pizza amazes me. I really want to eat some of that pizza. I could not eat that whole pizza. But I don't even know if we're home. We should like, as a youth group, we should try that. Take it, just take it down. I think we could do it. Um, the burger, I don't know. But it amazes me to think like we have, we hold up in high regard in America, people like Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi because they can eat 72 hot dogs, you know, in one. And it's like, oh, this is the great hot dog eating contest. Or uh, I heard about when I was in seminary, there was a guy who uh, he wanted to get into the wing bowl because he wanted to eat and, you know, try and consume. But in order to get into the wing bowl, you had to do certain super feats of food consumption. So he had like three minutes to eat three jars of mayonnaise. Exactly. Exactly. He did it. And I'm just like, I just, I enjoy mayonnaise, but not like that. That's just, oh, you know, but we overindulge. And the irony is then we look and say, oh, our hearts are so bad. But I, I know that's a whole nother topic. But, but we look at it and say, I don't think it's just there. We talk about having, we need a good spiritual heart. We need to love God. We need to have a good relationship with God. We need to have a good attitude and good love toward others. We need to think about our spiritual heart. But do we as believers indulge? Do we find ourselves creeping into areas and having areas creep into our lives that can really impact our health, our spiritual heart health? And as we, as we look at that, I, I really think we have to remember Proverbs 4, uh, 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life, the springs of life. Everything in our life is coming forth, and we need to be guarding our heart. 
We need to be discerning what is coming into our minds, into our ears, into our eye gate. And as we, as we think on these things and we're taking into thought everything that, that highly exalts itself against the name of God and we're, we're caring about those things and watching that, we need to be guarding. We need to not let our guard down and just take it in and say, oh, we can figure it out later. But we need to be diligent about looking at what is coming into our heart and saying, my heart health, my spiritual heart health is important and I'm not going to indulge in the vices and the sins of, of the flesh, but rather looking and saying, what about the spirit can I be putting into my life and in, incorporating and indulging in the good things to, to work in my life? In fact, when you look at it, every, every heart problem is a problem of our heart. At the heart of every problem is, is our heart. No matter what we face, if it's a, it's a relationship issue, there's a heart issue involved. If it's an um, a issue on the internet, it's a heart issue. We have to look and say, what, what is the heart issue? In fact, David understood that in Psalm 51. He looks and he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. He understood that his issue with Bathsheba was not the fact that she was up on the roof bathing or that, that you know, he was you know, just meandering around or he just decided, I'll take Uriah out. He understood at the end of it, this was a personal matter that he had to deal with. It was a heart issue uh, in his heart. Even uh, the, God says in Ezekiel, these people, they've set up idols in their hearts. Though they, they look, they have this outward form and appearance in their hearts. They're setting up things that exalt themselves against me. And tonight we need to take a good, hard look at ourselves as believers, not looking at the people around us, but being willing to look at our lives and saying, are there things in my life, this is about me tonight, and my relationship with God, my relationship to technology, which it is, it is all around us. We've already laid that out the last few weeks. What, does my, what are my heart problems? Are there heart problems that I need to be dealing with? See, what we've done is we've taken the biblical model of heart health and we've replaced it with our own wisdom. We've done the Romans one thing. We look at times and say, I have a greater wisdom than what God says. I'm going to take my own idea of what is healthy for my heart. I'm going to take my own idea of what is important and loving, and, and we replace it. Remember Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus, what is, the, what is the greatest command? He says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Notice, notice what, what happens here. God says that there is to be a love that is to be directed to God, and a love that is to be directed toward others. That is the direction, that is the God-ordained pattern for our heart health, for our love, for our responsibility in life as believers. We are to love God and we are to love others. But I want you to think about what has happened in America. We've done the great reversal. And again, not just America, but across the world, but we're talking here, we're talking us practically today. There is this reversal in, in our society that it no longer is directed toward God and others, but our propensity, our desires, are to take our own love and to reverse it back and become lovers of self. We want the kingdom of me. We want our own island. We want to have the ability to say, this is my life, I will do it my way, I can have it my way, and I'll just do it. And we have that concept that is being bombarded to us, and we have to look and say, wait a second, how is that, how is that what God has ordained? It's, it's not. Because if we end up loving ourselves supremely, we will not love God and others. It's impossible to serve two masters. 
you can't, you can't divide the parts and say, well, I'll just, you know, I'll love myself and I'll love God. God looks and says, no, this is about loving him and, and fleshing that out through loving other people. What's happened is, really, we should be worshiping God, loving others, and we should use things. But when you think about it, what we've ended up doing is too often we worship self, we ignore God, we love things, and we end up using other people to get our advantage, to get where we want to go. In fact, this is uh, this idea of ignoring God. We're seeing it, we're seeing it fleshed out. Even in uh, one of the books that, that we were reading was talking about the idea of how we, how we comprehend in, uh, versus screens versus a real book. And if, you, if, you're reading, if you're reading in a real book as opposed to a screen, the, the different, they, they gave everybody, they did a test where they gave everybody a real book. They tested their comprehension rates. They were all generally about the same. Then they did one where it was all on screens and then one on in books. And what was happening is the screens, the screens drastically dropped and the book comprehension rate was, was much higher. We talked about this a little bit Thursday night uh, in our session. But when we, when we looked at it, and when you look at it, one of the things that the author uh, refers to, uh, 12 Ways You Did That Book by Tony Ranke, The 12 Ways Your Phone's Changing You, he refers to the fact that what it's becoming and making and happening is that it's making it so difficult for people to read the Bible. In fact, the Bible's becoming one of the hardest books to read for, for individuals because we're not used to sitting down with a difficult book. We're used to reading in snippets. We're used to reading in short little bursts of communication. We're not used to sitting down and reading this intensely uh, difficult at times book. And so what's happening is people, people will tend to ignore that which is difficult. And it's impacting. But we, we can have this idea when, when it's about us, we will, we will ignore God. Uh, Abha Dawasar, she talks about a TED Talk. And uh, it's a really interesting one. She is a writer. She's in Long Island, New York. And she talked about when I was in Long Island, New York, she said that she was there when Hurricane Sandy came through. And she, she writes, she does a blog, she uh, has a, a, big, a big digital social media following uh, in, that, in that area. And she was so concerned when the, the hurricane came through, that her cell phone and her iPad and everything that she had in order to connect with everybody out in the, in the world with, that were following her, she said, I got to the point where I was, I was camping out at night at the only place that had electricity, camping out through the night so I could plug in so that I had my devices, so that I could go take pictures of the, the hurricane-ravaged people and upload them to my Facebook account or upload them to my social media accounts or blog about them so that people would know about the, the dangers. And she said, all of a sudden, I had, I had this huge reality check in my life. She said, I was all about the moment, and I forgot I didn't even see the bigger picture around me. And she said, I had to come to that point where I put my, my, my electronics away and looked at the individuals, my neighbors, who were there and needed help, who needed, who needed me to lend them a hand in cleaning up their yard, not just taking a picture of it. And, and she said she finally got this, this idea, and she understood that in her life, she said, I was all about the moments, taking a picture, taking a picture, uploading, taking a picture, uploading, taking a picture, and uploading, that I miss the bigger picture, the bigger perspective of life and what I was here to do. And she summarized, she said, if our moments are all about us, why do we even think our lives would tend to be about other people? And that happens. When we turn our love away from God and away from others, we turn our loves on ourselves. What makes us think that we're going to actually be about all those other people? Second Timothy 3 
is going to deal with this. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. We will we'll bring in a bunch of other scriptures as well. But 2 Timothy 3, uh, what happens when our love is skewed? And, and Paul is writing, and, and we know this passage because oftentimes when we deal with an end times conference, this is one of those passages that we'll, we'll, hit, we'll highlight and we'll say, hey, look, can you not see this in our world today? And, and you can. When you read through this, this first part of 2 Timothy 3, you're like, wow, this is, this is where we are at in a society. So he talks about that in the last days, there's going to be perilous times that are going to come. And he looks and he says, all right, what's, going to be, what's it going to be like? What are the people like? And, and Paul is going to talk about when our love is skewed, what happens? First of all, we become selfish. We become selfish in, in the passage. It says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves and covetous. He talks about the fact that we get to the point where, where we, we love ourselves. We, we live in a selfie culture. It's all about us, and uh, it's, it's the way it is. Um, you, maybe you've heard the, the story, the, the myth, mythological story of Narcissus. Narcissus is an individual who he uh, thought himself so beautiful, so, thought himself so wonderful. In fact, he looked down at people. He mocked people who did not think he was so beautiful. He was just, he was completely full of himself. And one of the gods, small g, obviously, it's mythology. They, they saw this happening and they cursed this, this little pool that Narcissus was headed towards. And Narcissus saw his reflection in the pool and he just became consumed by that. And that's all he would ever do is go look in the pool. And he just stayed there and looked in the pool and looked in the pool because he was completely consumed with himself. We get that, we get the term because of that story that we use today called narcissism. Individuals who are completely consumed with themselves, they think themselves better uh, than everybody else. So it's that idea of being a lover of self. And when we look at it, we have to look and say, okay, what is it about loving self? And, and uh, another, I, I obviously you know I like some of the TED Talks. Obviously, I should say now, a lot of the TED Talks, they're just, they're out there. They're weird. Uh, some of them are really good. Uh, be wise in what, you, what you're going to look at. They're not believers. Sometimes uh, they're going to be a little bit uh, crass in some of the things they say. So you have to use good discretion and discernment when you're looking at some of those things. But this one, Sherry Turkle, she talks about in the Connected But Alone one, which I've referred to a couple times. She talks about in our lives, we like social media and we like the digital areas because they offer us these fantasies, these, these things that make us feel good about ourselves, that focus on ourselves. They say they give it, it gives us the attention where we want to be. It says, hey, you can be wherever you want to be. You don't have to be right here in the moment. You don't have to, you don't, yeah, you can be standing in an airport, but you really don't have to be there. You can be off somewhere else. Have any of you ever looked at somebody's vacation photos and like, oh, I'd love to be there. And you're, you're thinking about that. She says you can be there. You, you feel like you're always being heard. So I can just text and everybody's obviously listening to me because I have so much to say and I'm such an authority on all these subjects and all this matters. So, so there's there. And that we never have to be alone. Because somebody's always watching us, somebody's always there, somebody's wanting to chat with us, somebody's wanting to connect with us. But she goes through, and in the talk, she, she debunks a lot of these. And even as you go through and do some study and some research, you start finding that people are feeling more and more alone the more they are driving to social media. The amounts of depression that you start to see people struggling with and individuals battling with, the idea of depression is, is there. And, and not in responding, how they're responding in a defunct manner, in a sad manner, when they're not being liked or they're not being heard or someone's not commenting on their post, that one, one lady talked about, she, she said, nobody was commenting, so I'd, I'd take my, my post off and then I'd rewrite it and put it up a couple hours later, 
hoping that people would actually reread it and, 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 and like it and comment on it. And she said, I was just all about people hearing me. And uh, so, so we get to that. And you can see how in our society, we start to see these things. But what's interesting is when we talk about this idea of loving self, he links it, Paul links it here with the word covetous as well. And some of the, some of the words he links together. He talks about, in Exodus it talks about, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything else that's your neighbor's. He says, it's not, you are not to have this idea of being covetous. No man can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't be loving and longing after money, an inordinate desire to have all of these things or have somebody else's things, that it consumes us. Uh, Mark chapter 7, from within, out of the heart of man comes one of the words, verse 22, coveting. He says, all these things are from within and they defile a person. They are the inward battles, the struggles that we have. And we look and say, well, how is coveting impacting us? Ephesians 5 says, for you um, may, may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. Really interesting how Paul links that together, that our covetousness is not just something that's small, but he's like, that's an idol of our heart. We're, we're consumed with our covetousness, has no inheritance with the kingdom of God. We talk about how does it, how does it play in. There's an, uh, I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to go up to uh, the Salmon River in Pulaski, New York, to go, to go salmon fishing, the salmon run there, all the salmon are returning in Lake Ontario and going through. And there was this, there was this technique that they were using uh, that I was not familiar with, and at first I thought it was illegal because it sounded like snagging and foul hooking a fish, but it wasn't. Apparently in the state of New York, they had this whole legal battle over it. It's called flossing which if you get the idea of flossing going through your teeth, what they do is they, there's so many hundreds of thousands of these salmon swimming through the river that everybody just throws their lines out and at the bottom there's a big weight and about two foot up there's a hook. And eventually the fish, there's so many hooks in the water and so many fish swimming through that the fish will actually eventually just go right through and swim through, through your line and you'll start to feel your rod tip. So you reel, reel, reel and it pulls a hook into the mouth and it hooks the, hooks the fish, and you're, able to, you're actually able to reel it in. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this conference, I was like, man, that is just exactly what happens when we are on the internet. Have you ever been, it doesn't matter what site you're on, you get those little things that pop up on the side, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, I need that. Oh, let me click on that. Yeah, oh, I need that too. And all these things keep popping up, the click ads, the pop-ups, the, uh, the push notifications on your phone, all these things that you need. You know, and you keep seeing them, and you're like, oh. And eventually, they just put enough lines out in the water that eventually one's going to hook you, and you're going to buy something. But I want you to think about all of that in relationship to our covetousness. Do you find yourself digitally window shopping? Going through the the internet and just, you know, got to scroll through eBay for hours at end because I might find that great deal. I need to know about, you know, I need to compare all my prices, and I continually do it, and it's not bad to shop online. We do, we do a lot of shopping online. You know, but you've got to watch some of those, those continual things. Do you really need it? Uh, Amazon is great for this. Those of you who use Amazon, you, know, you go to purchase something, you get your whole basket done, you're ready to click, you're ready to check out, and then down at the bottom it says, for an extra 250 you could buy this item. Or people who've purchased this have also purchased this and have also pur- and you're like, oh, well, if other people have purchased this, that must mean I probably need it in order to make this experience better. All they're doing is throwing out more lines for, to, to hook us. 
Uh, when I was talking with Christina Bergraf about it, she gave a really great observation. She said, it's like going to the store without a list to shop. You, know, you, go to the, you go to the grocery store, you've got your list, you're ready to shop, and you know what you've got to get. But when you do this, you have that possibility, the potential is there. You're not going shopping with a list, you're just like, eh, okay. And you're just, you're just randomly pulling stuff in. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. But what's the heart issue? That I need that. Do I, do I really need that? That's a covetous aspect that could become an issue. Maybe you do need it and you forgot about it. That's one thing. But looking and saying, hey, are these really things that I need? When we talk about being covetous or, or you know, even spending online, it amazes me. Pop-up ads or, sorry, in-app purchases. For those of you who, <clears throat> excuse me, aren't into what I mean by that, <clears throat> I know everybody wants to clear your throat. When I, I, go ahead if you need to. Um, in-app purchases, you get an app on your phone and there's, you know, the opportunity to purchase more, purchase different things. Uh, in-app purchases, often, I, I often think inept purchases, but in-app purchases, uh, there's, there's the totals for the last few years, 2013 through 2017 in dollars. Now you're looking and saying, well, it doesn't seem to be too bad. That's in millions of in-app purchases that are being made. So this year alone, $36 million in in-app purchases. So all of your Candy Crush extra lives, all of your extra little pieces, you know, because you, you need those extra lives right at the moment in order to make your game go a little bit further. So you pay an extra 99 cents for extra lives. That's, that's what it's all heading up to. And there's other in-app purchases that, that are good. But we need to be thinking, are we, just, are we throwing away our money very quickly because we need something? Do I really, do I truly need, need those things? Another interesting aspect about covetousness that, that I hadn't really thought about, but in James chapter 4, verse 2 down there, it says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. It's interesting how the aspect of covetousness and the inability to have what you want impacts other people. Have you ever thought about how your posts, how your pictures, the things that you upload to the internet may cause some dissension or dis, uh, some, some problems with other people? They actually have defined now the excessive posting disorder. Now, it's internet slang, but uh, I was just like, wow. Well, yeah, some people, they, they have that. But here's what I mean by it. How many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hands, but I alluded to it. You've seen somebody's vacation pictures and you find yourself longing to be away from your job or your situation because you want to be there. You see them continually posting these wonderful, amazing dinners and foods, and you're sitting there thinking, I wish I had the money to do that and not have my mac and cheese. You look and you say, I've seen these, these pictures of, of all of them and all of their kids, and I just wish that somehow I could have a child. And we, never, we, we don't always think about how we maybe, with our posts, with our picture uploads, may be impacting somebody else in their battle with covetousness. Just something to be thinking about in relationship to others. Another dynamic that comes out of the passage is not only do we become selfish, but we become self-absorbed. And the same, he continues to go on and he says we become boasters. We become proud and blasphemous. We become disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. So he starts to talk about these passages. And we can go to John 3.30 that you are to, we want Christ to increase, us to decrease. 
Philippians 2, verses 3 and 5. You're in Philippians 2 this morning, but doing nothing through strife or vainglory. The thing, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm going to have the mind of Christ. Not the, the mind that says, I'm going to do something through vainglory. Hey, look at me. The idea of being completely full, but really full of nothing. You're full of hot air. It's just like, okay, this is who I am. That's the idea of vainglory. To, to look in our lives and say, I am becoming self-absorbed. The idea of the boaster is the one who seeks honor uh, for themselves. Uh, one of the books, The, the Boogeyman, is, is uh, in your child's back pocket. Uh, Pastor Tony was relaying about, to me about the story uh, about the gunnabies, the people, and we talked about a little bit Thursday night. I'm going to be here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in, uh, you know, let's pick, I'm going to be in Hawaii next week for vacation. I'm going to be at the airport in three, three hours. I'm going to be, I'm getting on the airplane. Everybody who's following your status knows exactly where you're going to be. And those are, you know, they've got to tell everybody where they're going to be. That's interesting because a lot of people do that. And that's, that's something that I think people are catching on to and, and we're, we're wising up to, but we need to be cautious of it because the danger that's involved Telling everybody, you know, when you're going to be here, when you're going to be there, when you're not going to be at home, what's, what, what could potentially happen, the danger, the danger that's there. But we need to be careful that we're not continually boasting about what we have, where we're at, how great we are, how much honor that, that we want. Because Proverbs 27 says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what tomorrow may bring. Let another person praise you. I think that is a principle that we as believers need to understand. Let another one praise you. It's not about, hey, look at me. I need your praise. You don't set yourself up to get the accolades, but you allow other people to praise you and not your own mouth. Let a stranger praise you, not your own mouth. And he he talks about the proud, the ones that see themselves as more important than others. The ones who look and say, hey, I'm so great and, and you're nothing. Any of you ever had the experience, the opportunity to sit, endure, maybe, home movies or the slideshows? Any of your parents ever, you know, used to do that? It's not, it's not as big anymore. I know you're there. Yeah, I know you're Pastor Binkley. Yeah, I know you're, yeah. We've had to endure that. No, it was, it was actually pretty fun to watch some of their old uh, we did it for their anniversary and just sat down and watched some of the old slides and some of the old pictures from their life. It was pretty interesting to watch Sharon like this tall and, you know, growing up. But uh, let's be honest, and, and he already knows where I'm going with this, I think, so it's okay. Um, am I the only one who by the end of a slideshow, you're like, this is great, but can we be done? And th- no, yes, I'm here chuckling. You're like, okay. Because to that person, that was a great event. They loved those moments. But you're sitting there like, okay, great. Yes, let's move on. But social media has become this consistent, constant slideshow of everybody's life. And the people who love it are the people who post it. But why, do we th- why are we so proud to think that everybody wants to see everything that I have to offer all the time? Do you ever get... Like, you ever get sick of other people's posts that are nonstop? And you're like, okay, you're, you hide them. You're like, hid. I'm tired of, hid, hid. You don't, if you're hid, I'm sorry. It's my wife's fault, not mine. Um, but, but we become so self-absorbed. We become so proud that we tend to think about this. The University of Michigan, I'll, 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 I can use them this week because next week Penn State will beat them. And then nobody will want me to quote about Michigan. But anyway, 
That was for you, Chris, wherever you're at. Um, Facebook's our mirror and Twitter's our megaphone. And it was an interesting study as you read through. It's the study called You're So Vain, Social Media Narcissism. But they said that they're finding even with Facebook, people tend to go look at their own sites almost more than they look at others because they want to see how people have commented on theirs and they like to dwell on what they're doing. It's just looking in the mirror. Twitter becomes the megaphone, the place we can shout out. But uh, Romans 2 says, Paul says, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, there is wrath and fury. Don't be an individual who's just constantly seeking or self-seeking praise. We see this a lot. And some of you may get offended by this, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. One of the highest hashtag trendings, which uh, happens in it, is likes, likes for likes. In other words, I need your likes. Here, like my, po- my pictures and I'll like, I'll like yours. It's not that it's a genuine like. You just need it. You need that fix so bad that you're going to put that out there and go, here, I'll like for like. You know, you give me a like, I'll give you a like. This, this next one, if you're really my friend, okay, if, you, if, if you, I have, you know, I don't know how many friends we have on Facebook, whatever, all 32 of them. All 32 of you who are my friends, that would be pathetic in, in the world's eyes, but I don't care. If you're really my friend, you will comment on this and then you will post it. Because if you don't, you're really not my friend. I need your praise. I need, I'm seeking your praise and I will praise you then. This is not where we are to be. Matthew 6 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to, see, to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Are we doing things? And the next one, the next one is just, this is a Worley family pet peeve, and I guess it's just, it's us, and I can talk about it. But if you love Jesus, then you will share this post. You chuckle. But it goes around all the time. If you really love Jesus, then I want to see it. You post this. If I don't post it, I don't love Jesus? Really? Am I, am I doing it because, hey, then everybody else knows that I love Jesus? How do I show that I love Jesus? I show it by true religion is this, visiting the widows, the orphans, those who can give nothing back to me. I go show them that. How do I show that I love Jesus? I get involved in church. How do I show Jesus? I minister to other people face to face. It's not because I post something or not. Let's think about the things that, that we're trying to impress people with because the people who are reposting that are all believers. It's not for the unbelievers in, my, in my, my Facebook or my social media area. So let's be careful on some of those things that we're continually posting uh, because of how they can be. Again, last week we talked about, we need to think about what we post, how they're perceived um, by others. Another thing we see is a lack of self-control in the passage. We look at the passage and it says, there's a, there's a lack of self-control. Without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, which is the idea of the, the, not the ability to control yourself. Fierce despisers, uh, despisers of those that do good. But looking at that idea of self-control, do this for a second. Just out loud, read the words. Just read the words. Go ahead. You can read them to the people next to you. If you can't read, that's okay. They can help you. Sorry, I'm in your way. Okay. Now that you read the words, Instead of reading the word, say the color of the word as you're reading it, or not as you're going through. Say the color. Come on, do it faster. You can do it. (laughs) 
Are you color? If you're colorblind, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you find yourself wanting to say the right thing but not being able to at times say, some of you have got this memorized and you're great at it. But you want to say the right thing, but you're, it's just not coming out that way. And you're like, come on, seriously? I know that that's yellow, gr- green. You know, I know that that's, see, I can't even do it, <laughs> red and, and blue. I know that, but it just doesn't happen. Do you ever feel like that when it comes to self-control? Especially in regard to our digital consumption, to our technology. You want to do what is right, but at times it just it doesn't happen. Self-control, the idea, one of the, one of the ideas, I like this, it was simple, choosing to do what's right when I feel like doing wrong. There are times my flesh does not want to do what is right. But I have to. I have a biblical responsibility to live in the Spirit so that through the Spirit's power, I can practice self-control. I can do what's right even when my flesh wants to do wrong. Job says this. He says in Job 31, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How could I gaze at a virgin? Think, think about that. I mean, Job, Job just says, I, here's an older man who's looking at a younger, younger lady who's good looking, and it seems like, and he's like, how can I gaze on her? He's like, no, I have to show self-control. I have made a covenant with my eyes. I think some of us need to step back and say, we need to make covenants with our eyes. Because self-control, it, it highlights our inability to deal with temptation in our flesh. I did some, some Google searches on this idea of addiction. Now, you can go do Google searches and you, you can go through, and it doesn't mean I'm saying go do all of them. And again, the disclaimer is always, be wise, use discernment when you're going to do these things. I was telling Pastor Tony, I've actually, through this whole entire series, because of what I'm continually searching I've kept my entire history and like kept it, you know, so I can, and he gave a really good idea of taking a screenshot. So if any, man, Pastor, you were like, you were looking up sexting? What's going on here? I want people to know exactly where I, where I was at because I want you to be able to look and say, okay, he's made a covenant with his eyes. He's doing what is right. But, you know, when you go do, do, do these searches, I'd encourage you as parents, do some of them. But look at, look at the, the Google search, cell phone addiction, 58 million hits, like right away in like 0.6 seconds. Screen addiction, 40 million. Video game addiction, 17.4 million. Television addiction, 40.5 million. Candy Crush addiction. There's actually a Candy Crush. uh, For those who don't know what Candy Crush is, it's an annoying little game that a lot of people like. It goes on your phone, and that's usually if you're seeing people doing that, that's probably what, no, uh, could be doing. But Candy Crush addiction. You can just Google, and and the, the numbers pop up so quickly. All I want to highlight is this. The idea of addictions, this is not just, please understand, this is not just a conservative pastor looking and saying, we have a battle with a problem of addictions in this world in regard to our media. This is everybody in the world starting to notice the fact that we have a problem when it comes to the addiction of screens, the addiction of devices, of technology. We just have to say, okay, if that's the case, what can we do about it? What should we as believers be thinking about? What should we, where should we be uh, directing? I mean, Paul even says it, and there's, there's debate on this passage. Is this Paul before he was saved, Paul after he was saved? But, but catch the gist of what he's saying from a human perspective. He says, I do not, I, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not what I want, 
but I do the very thing I hate. For I know nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He's highlighting a natural aspect of living in the flesh is a very difficult aspect for us. There is a tension of what I want to do. For the most part, I I truly believe I could ask here with 100% certainty of how many of you today say, I want to go home and view pornography. More than likely, nobody's going to raise their hand because we know we don't want to do that. And yet it would be foolish to think that there may not be some here battling with that same addiction saying, I don't want to do this, but my flesh really wants it. And it's, it's extremely difficult. He highlights it again in Galatians. For the desire of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. He highlights in Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. There is hope through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Paul says through the hope of the gospel, through living your salvation day in and day out, through understanding that God has changed your life and living in the Spirit, walking daily in His Word, walking under in His control, you can have victory over those addictions. You can have victory over the struggles and the battles that you have, but it requires us to be walking in the Spirit. It requires us to be in the Word. It requires us to be getting help and and admitting some of our, our difficulties and our problems. Psalm 101.3, and that's a, there is a misprint on your notes there, just so you know. There, my notes say 141.3, but it's 101.3 in that section. He says, I will set no wicked thing before my eye. Take, take that principle for a second, soak it in, and think for a moment about what you have viewed this week. I think you could even take that principle and say, I will allow no wicked thing in my ears. The idea is I'm not going to allow wickedness to be coming into my body, into my heart. And looking and saying, how, how do I do that? We, we as believers, we lack, we lack this self-control, this idea of addictions, our ability to fight the flesh, temptation. And it is our responsibility to purity. We have a responsibility. So what, what is that? When we look, and we're dealing with the specific, just one little general area of this idea of self-control here for a moment on the idea of purity, the idea of what we're looking at, what we're watching. But let's talk about our personal purity and our family purity. I can sit here, and probably this is where everybody thought it was going initially, is talking about the purity of you in your life on the internet, you and the purity of your life on TV. And I truly believe that we have to wrestle with that. We have a biblical responsibility, men and women, teenager, young adult, senior, to make sure that our purity, what we're watching, what we're doing, is, is well guarded. There's a statement that one of, you, one of you shared with me numbers of years ago. I thought it was really good and it has, it has really helped me. To think about in the idea of purity and what I look at and how I act, the gentleman said, you need to think about everything that you could lose if you fell into the immorality. 
if you fell into and were found out about the impurities, the things you were looking at. And so I did that. I took this personal list of all the different things that I could lose. We, it, was, it was really good for me because it was consequential thinking. It's not just in the moment, because if we just wait till the moment, we give in to the flesh. We need to have a strategy. We need to have a plan. And it's, it's really helped me through the years to say, for my personal purity in my life, I need to make sure, think about all those different aspects, the consequences of our sinful choices. But I also want to highlight the idea of what about our family's purity? What about the idea of my responsibility as a father, Sharon's responsibility as a mother, to keep and to guard my kids, my children's innocence and purity? Some interesting stats in regard to pornography. By the age of eight is the number now. Boys are exposed to pornography. And I'm not talking, the, in the, the book that talks about it doesn't talk about this idea of uh, just an indecent picture. But by the age of eight now, they have been exposed to a graphic sexual picture or act through a video. By eight years old. We have a responsibility to be, to be talking and to helping our children. It's not just guys. Focus on the Family has a stat out that talks about 60% of young ladies by the age of 18 have been exposed or are viewing the same exact battle and struggle. And same thing. We have this new thing called sexting. There, there are facts about sexting. I'm not going to go through all of them. But um, one of, one of the, the sites that I used in talking about uh, this idea, they talked about that 40, 40% of teenage girls do it as a joke, the ones who do it. 34 said it makes them feel sexy. 12% say they feel pressured to do it. There have been teens in our youth group who have been, they've been sent texts. And all, this, all the texts or the, the, the Snapchat says send nudes. That's it. Ladies, if you need that to feel sexy, the guy is not worth it. Throw him out the window, unfriend him, get rid of him, take a hike. You don't need it. He's not worth it. Okay, you take, you take that out. You, you look at some of the other facts on sexting, and I don't even want to go through them because it just, it appalls me. Twenty-four percent of teenage girls, 14 to 17, 33 percent of college-age students, 18 to 24, have been involved in some form of sexting. We got to talk about it. We have to talk to our kids. Our hands are being forced. There's a, in the, I'll look at my notes real quick, regain my, note, my thought. Um, oh, it was in a series that some of the young adults have went through on Song of Solomon. It talks about like what age do we start talking to our kids about this, this idea of sex. And the, the one lady responded to and talked about it and said, let me, let me give you an illustration of what happened. There was a, a girl about the age of eight and she went to school, and she had heard some terms. She had heard people talking about these terms. And she got to the point where she didn't know. Her parents weren't talking to her about them, but she knew how to use Google. So she took the terms. She went to Google and started Googling these terms. Started learning about them, started seeing pictures, started seeing videos, and found herself in her teenage years completely addicted to pornography. And later on in her life, it comes out, and she had to battle and wrestle through the addiction that she had not a guy, this a lady, 
had with this idea, this concept of pornography. Our hands are being forced. If by the age of eight, that's Zach's age, he's being exposed to some of this potentially, I have a responsibility as a father to be talking about it. We've got some resources out on the back table that will help you with some of that, talking to your children about sex. You may look and go, well, it's too late. It's never too late. You might say, my, my, my teenager is 18 and I've never had a talk about it. That's okay, go have a talk about it. At some point, there's a series out there. Um, some of you have recommended you've been through a Passport to Purity, talking about how to take your children through this and talk about it very clearly and openly and candidly, looking and saying, hey, we have to do this. Our hands have been forced. Our teens, our children are living in this world, and we have the responsibility to, to be talking to them about it. What about this device? I have one in my home. I have two of them in my home, and I love them. But I also have to be wise on what I am allowing into my home. It amazes me when I talk with, with some, some of the teens what they've been allowed to watch. Well, it's just, got, it's just got, you know, this or that. Think about it in a different perspective, parents. How many of you would be okay with two people in the same room as you making out half undressed, and they're there, and they're, they're four feet from your teenage boy. You're like, yeah, it's, it's not that really that big of a deal. But you'll put them on the TV screen. We still think that way. We're allowing it into our eyes. But we look and say, well, th- it's not the same. If you, if you start to do some study on the brain, we're not going to get into all of it, but you can start to do and I, talk about it, and your brain processes it the same way. We have to think about what we're allowing into our homes, through our screens, through our devices. And looking, I'm not, I'm not up here advocating throw out the TVs. If you're going to get rid of the TVs, bring them over to my house. I'll sell them and make money off you. Okay? I'm not advocating that, but I am advocating we have a responsibility to be discerning and what we allow into our homes, into our devices. Because all things are lawful for me. All things, though, are not helpful or beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought or dominated or brought under the power. I will not be mastered by any. <clears throat> Do you find yourself getting a little shaky thinking about, like, oh, my TV or my phone or what would happen if I, I didn't have it or if I really cut my consumption of it way down? Are you controlling your phone or is your phone controlling you? Are you controlling your TV and what comes in? Or does the next episode continue to drive you? There have been multiple, multiple series that I've started and I love them and I get into them and I'm like, yeah, okay, we're done. And I'm not saying, hey, pat me on the back because there's just as many times where I've fallen, I've watched another episode and it's like, no, I'm being dominated by what's on the screen rather than what is right in my life. One of the things that Dr. Ed Welch talks about in his book, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, I have it out back there. He says, if we want to learn self-control, we need to practice it. He says, start living with boundaries. There's one of the things that I've chosen to do because I know, as Pastor talked about the weaker and stronger a couple weeks back, there's, there's an issue in my life where I'm weak. It is with my, it's with my devices. I love my devices, and they love me. They love me more. I, but my iPad... If you see me walking around with the iPad, usually it's because I'm helping with the sound booth. That's the iPad that I have now. I made a conscious choice a few months back that I am not using uh, my iPad as my Bible or my phone as my Bible. 
Not because if it's, on the, if it's on an iPad screen or if it's on your phone that it's not the Bible because the only way to have the Bible is in printed form. No, it's the Bible if it's on an iPad. It's a Bible if it's printed in a hardback, you know, this big way back in the 1600s. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. Practical reason, I am weak. I found myself because you can listen faster, even faster than pastor can speak. I know that may seem impossible, but you can listen faster than he can speak. I found myself not just looking at my Bible, but when it would vibrate, I wanted to see who's texting. When it would go off or I get an alert, I want to see what the score was. I was not personally strong enough to have that device and sit in this service and listen to the message. So I made a conscious personal choice to say, I'm weak. I've got it. Some of you are stronger than me, and that's okay, and you can have those devices. Pastor Binkley, I know you got it back there. You can have your, I know. It's right there. There you go. You know, he's stronger than me in that, and that's fine. But I have to live with a boundary. I have to make that choice. Boundaries are not bad. In fact, Proverbs says that a man without self-control is like a city it's broken into, and the walls, it's left without walls. It has no boundaries. It has no protection coming in or going out. It's just, that's the type of person without self-control. I need to live with boundaries. You need to live with boundaries, and you need to have conversations with your spouse. What are the boundaries going to be? Then have conversations with the children and the teens and the young adults in your home. What are the boundaries going to be? I not only need to live with boundaries, I need to limit the distractions and focus my attention. In uh, 1 4, 1 Corinthians 9, first to be Donald Trump, like 1 Corinthians 9, yeah. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, he talks about they that run in a race run all, and there's the rules, and you run that you can obtain. You've got a focus, there's parameters, you run, you don't run illegally, you run, you run the right way. You limit the distractions, you focus your attention. We had the opportunity a couple weeks back to go, uh, a couple weeks, it was back in the spring, we were in Chicago with my family. And we went to a museum and they had a mirror maze. You ever, be, ever been in one of those things? And it, you inevitably, the thing I finally figured out, if you can like, at this height, if you see a smudge mark on the mirror, that's a mirror because somebody's walked into the mirror. But it took me a while. And then I'm like, oh, that's gross because my grease just wiped off on their grease and how many other people's grease was on that mirror. But that's a whole other issue. They, they're walking through and I find myself, bam, walking, bam. And I hit a mirror and I hit a mirror. And finally I had to say, wait a second. I have to focus. I have to see the distractions around me, notice what is going on. I can't just walk through this or we're going to walk aimlessly, continually bumping into stuff. When it comes to our digital discernment, when it comes to our media consumption, our technology, our devices, we have to limit the distractions that are out there. Maybe it said, maybe some have suggested that if you want to, you don't just get rid of screens, you limit the number of devices that allow everything to come into your home. Rather than saying we need 10, 8, 10 devices, uh, interesting, interesting stat was stated that there are now more screens in the home than people living in homes for the most part in America. And, and that's, that's you know, pretty normal if you started to think about it. Um, but focus your attention. Say, this is what we want. We want to be digitally pure. We want to be technologically sound. We want self, self-control with our technology. And it may mean that I need to put it away. I need to set it to the side. He says to think before acting. Don't just go at it. Don't just go and buy the newest, latest, greatest technology, but say, hey, wait, I got to think about this. How is this going to help me glorify God or is it going to enhance my rebellion against God? I think first, then I, then I act. I need to focus on Christ's second coming, he talks about, and he talks about developing a strategy to not just willy-nilly go at it. 
but look and say, this is important for us. And if having self-control in our technological society, in our digital world is important, then we need to be looking and saying, what's our plan? What's our strategy? Is it, is it going to be looking and saying we're going to limit the number of devices? Is it going to be that we are going to set up on our router, which you can do when we talked about um, this past week, set up on your router that you know, sends your wireless signal out. You're going you're gonna to put parameters on it that doesn't allow certain content to stream through. Maybe you're going to set up a strategy that says I'm going to purchase a device or a, a, an app or a, a program like Covenant Eyes that says it's going to guard and filter what is coming into my device, my family's device. Maybe you're going you're gonna to have one of those things where it shuts off all the, all the wireless signal to your house at 7 o'clock and, and doesn't, or 11 o'clock and doesn't come back on until 7. Whatever it is, you need to start to develop that strategy and stick with it. Give it a try. It's going to take a while. You're going to go through. You will see. There's, there's studies on studies, and I got tired of reading studies. I just wanted to read the Bible after a while. But there are a number of studies that, that hi, highlight and talk about the same addictions that individuals go through when they're coming off of drugs, they see that same addiction withdrawal happening for people who try to give up technological devices. Because you can get into it and talk, so you can talk and find out about like dopamine in your brain when your, your phone goes off. When you're reading things, when you get an alert, your brain actually sends a little shot of dopamine, which is the same chemical reaction and chemical makeup of an individual who's like a crack addict that they get. So there is an addictive nature to it. You can get into all that, but those are, those are things you can study or I can point you in the right direction if that fancies, your, that, that fancies you, you can, you can do that. But develop a strategy. Because if we don't, we find ourselves in this last situation where we become self-deceived. Paul, Paul goes through this. He says, hey, we, we become selfish. We become self-absorbed. We, we lack self-control. And he highlights and he gets to the point where he looks and he says, we become self-deceived. Verse four, he talks about being a traitor. One who walks away from the faith. They, they get involved in that. What's interesting on that idea of traitor is uh, you start thinking about how that happens in the church today through the internet. <clears throat> Numbers of people going and looking and saying, well, this person said this. I think I'm going to start following them. And they don't end up preaching the same similar doctrine and they end up walking away. Or, wow, this, this Buddhist thing looks really cool, man. They seem like they're just really chillaxed and they got it all together. And I really like their peacey, lovey, happy thing. And, and all of a sudden you're like finding yourself drifting away because you don't stay true. So we've got to watch what we're looking at, what we're reading through. Just because somebody is on the internet doesn't mean that they're an authority on the internet. Dude, backtrack, find some, find some uh, importance. But that idea of traitor is somebody who, who leaves, walks away from, from true, genuine faith. Um, being, being heady and being high-minded, we'll talk about that in a second. What's interesting is we learn we learn, from, we learn from our society. We learn. I mean, even, even when you take, I was reading through this book, uh, Youth Culture 101, but it talks about what has Hollywood taught us? I won't read them all, but some of them really made me laugh. It, it, Hollywood, Hollywood has taught us this. It doesn't matter how heavily outnumbered in a fight involving martial arts that you are. Your enemies will patiently wait around you and attack you one by one, dancing around in a threatening manner until you've knocked down their predecessor. That's what they've taught us. They've taught us that when you go to bed at night and you turn out the lights, everything in your bedroom becomes clearly visible, but just slightly bluish. You know, so they've taught us some of those things. It taught taught us if you're a pretty blonde, it's possible to become a world expert on nuclear fission or anything else by the age of 22. 
And then, and then he talks about, he says, but uh, he says, uh, once applied, makeup never rubs off, even while scuba diving after, or after fighting alien monsters. But only if you're beautiful. Because if you're overweight, your mascara will run, your lipstick will smear, and you'll look horrible. That's, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's true. If you start looking at what Hollywood teaches us. Uh, a man will show no pain while taking on the most ferocious beating, but they will wince once a woman tries to clean his wounds. You know, they, they do that. And we look at, okay, yeah, all right, yeah. We, we get it. Hollywood, when you start thinking about what does Hollywood teach us, it's, you know, okay, it's cheesy. But as a kid, I remember watching some of those things and thinking, yeah, why doesn't my room not get that bluish look? I, I, rem- I used to think like everybody in the, that lived in the 70s and beyond, or, you know, backwards, so, you know, in the past. Either your, your world was black and white, or it all had that hazy yellow look that was always in the, like, 70s TV. That's, as a kid, that's what I thought. We, we, we became self-deceived, and then we started to realize. But he talks about that we have a responsibility not to be self-deceived. John talks about, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. If we say uh, that God is light in him, is no darkness at all. If we're going to say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from that unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. We have a propensity as humans, to think of ourselves as better than we really are. To look as believers and to say, well, we really don't do things that poorly. I'm not that bad. I'm not really a sinner. Take a step back and look at what he says. He says, we're deceiving ourselves. And I have to ask and I have to wonder, and as I look at my life and and wonder, am I deceiving myself when it comes to my self-control of technology, when it comes to my purity of technology for myself, for my family, when it comes to this idea of being selfish, do I really say, I'm not that selfish, I only post so many pictures. I'm not self-absorbed, yes, I am all about me, but it's really not that bad. And we continue to look at all these truths of scripture that we've looked at tonight, and if we downplay it, Are we starting to deceive ourselves? Because John is going to wrap this up, or Paul, excuse me, he's wrapping it up, and he says, verse 5, he says, they're having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Do we find ourselves looking and saying, we have left our first love? We have a form of godliness, but in this area of our technology, in this area of our viewing, in this area of what we listen to, in this area of our media consumption, let's not touch that, Pastor Art, because that is ours. Don't tell my parents they can look at my phone and see what I'm posting. No, that is mine. This is my life. Don't tell me that there are songs that are anti-God and I should not be listening to them. Don't th- that's mine. Don't tell me that there are movies that I should not watch. No, that is mine. Do you catch the self-absorbed, selfish dynamic that we struggle with? That we don't want to hear. I don't want to hear it. I get the benefit of being here because if I was there, I'd be like, I'd be cringing. But we have to look and say, wait, have we left our first love? Have we got that diagram that's supposed to be pointing our love toward God and others? Have we skewed it and are we pointing it back at ourselves and saying this about us? And if our love is about us, 
then we are going to truly battle with our ministry to each other. We are going to battle with thinking about how can I minister as a body, bringing unity to this church, because it's about me, it's not about you. Because it's about what I get out of church, not what I can give to other people. It will, it will battle our, our abilities to go out and evangelize the world because that is not cool. That, is not, that, that makes me feel uncomfortable to, to offend with the gospel. I, no, that's, that's not about me. We will, it will impact our evangelism. It will impact every single part of our life when we are absorbed and consumed with ourselves. And we have to look and say, if I left my first love, my love for my Savior, and then flowing out of that, my love for other people. I am to love God, and I am to love the others, even through my technology. And you can do it. Some of you do it well. Some of us not so well. We tend to focus on ourselves. But we need to be more worried about our love for God and others than all the likes for ourselves. Looking and saying, hey, this, is, this isn't about me. This is not about me, but this is about other people. We have out on the, out on the table out back some resources to try and help you with this in this area. Not just of how to love others and love God, but to how to deal with technology. Some of the books that we've been reading on this subject. Some of the, uh, the books that we've been reading about parenting. Some of the books that we've been, we've been wrestling through and trying to figure out in regard to purity and in regard to, to sexuality and teaching your kids about that. I would encourage you, stop by, write down the book titles. If you want them from the bookstore, some of them are available in the bookstore, some of them not, but we can get them through the bookstore. You can get them on Amazon. I mean, and they're all different prices. If you have questions about them, most of them are myself or Pastor Tony's. You can ask us, hey, what about this one or what about this one? Would this be appropriate for, for me where I'm at in my situation? We'd love to be able to help you with that. And honestly, this is, to, to me, one of my goals in this whole thing was not to be, okay, now we've covered it all. We've done it. We've fulfilled our quota. We're all good for a couple years. We don't have to talk about media discernment, digital discernment, anything like that for, for a couple years. No, I'm praying that this is just the beginning of a dialogue that we need to have on a continual basis where we're looking and saying, what about this? What about this? How do I wrestle through these areas? And to look and to say, how can we help you? How can we help come alongside you in your, in your battling, in your personal life, maybe in your family's life, whatever it is in those, those areas, let us help. That's what we want to be here for, to, to give a helping hand, to help each other. That's why we have these, the, this coming Thursday night, a practical one. I'd encourage you to come back, to, to hear from somebody from the outside looking and saying, it's an issue. And here's some of the things you need to be aware of. And here's some of the things that can help. Come, come, and, come and hear that. And in the future, as we, we talk about having some more of these different Thursday night opportunities or whatever night of the week we choose, we're, we're going to try and continually do this on a, about a quarterly basis, have something that is going to be practical like that. Continue the conversation. Do some personal study. Get into the Bible. Don't just do internet study. Trust me, it gets overwhelming. Do Bible study. And say, what does God's word say? And how does it apply? Gentlemen, you got those little cards. How does it apply to my life? How does it apply to this area of social media? 
How does it apply to this area of my technology, of my TV, of my music, of all of my media that's out there? So, so here's, I don't, I don't have homework for you, per se, but I have a challenge for you to do. For the next month, every day read a proverb. A little card, you can just stick it in your Bible. Read a proverb and ask, how does this reflect in the area of technology or social media or digital discernment as a whole? To look and to say, maybe, maybe one verse will pop out when you read Proverbs 1. You say, oh, wow, that talks about words. I need to be thinking about my words. Take that verse and reflect on it throughout the day. Think about the proverb, whatever it is in that proverb, in light of technology, in light of media, in light of our digital discernment. And continue to do that over the next month. And you can do that with the Proverbs with so many different vast areas. But let's say, hey, we need to, we need to continue this perspective. And look and say, how does it impact? How does it go forward? How can I keep this continuing on so that I can live righteously, live selflessly, live with self-control, and have my house be one that serves the Lord. That should be our desire, and I pray that that will be the case for you.